My name is Zane. I go to Barry College, for those of y'all who don't know me. Uh, I've been going to PVN since 2002-ish, so probably longer than some of y'all have been alive. Um, needless to say, we're still in the summer, so we've been speaking summer in the Proverbs. You've heard from Ryan for a couple of nights now. That's going to overpower. Bryce, can you bring me down a little bit? It's going to feed back. Um, we've been speaking about relationships. Uh, Pornography is one of the big topics that Ryan has brought up recently, but we're actually going a different direction tonight. Amazing. Some of y'all will be happy, some of y'all will be sad. I'm not sure. We're actually going to Proverbs 31. It's the very last chapter in Proverbs that's fitting to close us out. We're going verses 1 through 9. What verses 1 through 9, the actual uh, title of the chapter is the sayings of King Lemuel. Um, specifically, it's actually what his mother told him rather than what he came up with himself. It's an oracle that his mother gave to him. Does anybody know what an oracle is? I'm not talking about the matrix. That might, some of y'all may not know what that means. But <laughs> in this case, the oracle actually means burden. So a burden being something that weighs you down, something that may be hard to bear, something heavy. So this word that King Lemuel's mother is giving the king is going to be a burden. It's something that's going to be hard to do, something that's going to be hard to bear while he is king. So it says, verse 1, I'll just read it to you, is the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Verse 2, what are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Um, she's just questioning him. She wants to know what his purpose is while he's king. She wants to know what his desires are while he is king and what his intentions to actually get done while he is enthroned. It's um, what power does he actually want to possess over these people? How does he want to rule? Does he want to rule well and for the people? Or does he want to rule for himself? So in the next verse, verse 3, it says, Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It's specifically talking about adultery later on in that verse. It's, but that word adultery, we think of it, we know what it means. It's going to be cheating in relationships, but that doesn't mean just adultery. She is specifically catering that verse to the king, to that one specific person, but this distraction, adultery, or this sin, adultery, is not a only single thing. It, it's, it more wraps up the whole idea of distractions altogether. Adultery would be a distraction for the king, just like TV may be a distraction for us when we should be doing our homework. So for the rest of this, I'm mostly going to refer to it as a distraction because I want to let it best fit you guys to let it be more applicable. So it says, don't give your strength to women, your ways who destroy kings. It's all effectively saying that Lemuel, the king, should guard his heart and be wary of his own desires and the pitfall that is distractions. So being wary of his own desires clearly shows that sin or distractions are something that the flesh desires. They're these bright, shiny objects that we run after because they look cool at the time, but... In fact, they are a pitfall or something that trips us up, something that once we get to, once we're like, oh, yes, I finally have this prized possession, it's actually going to weigh us down. It's that burden or that oracle like we were talking about before. Next is 
you've at least heard of someone cheating. Um, this is going into more of the, the distractions, but we're actually talking about adultery in a different sense, just broadening the term out to cheating. Um, I'm sure you've heard of someone cheating on a test, cheating in athletics, or even a relationship for some of you. You all are more than well aware of what cheating is, and you've likely seen the repercussions of cheating. When somebody cheats on someone, when somebody cheats on a test, when somebody cheats at their job or takes the easy way out, it's never a good idea. Um, The Bible is very, very clear and emphatic about the negative repercussions of cheating. Cheating never gets you anywhere. It only sets you back. It may feel good in the moment. It may satisfy your needs in the moment, but it's only going to pull you back. So we see God makes it abundantly clear, even in the Bible, again, that cheating cheating in any form leads to more hardship, just like Jonah and the whale, because Jonah was cheating on God's plan for his own heart, for his own desires. He hated the people, the Ninevites, so much that he would cheat or second-guess God's plan just so he could satisfy his own heart and continue to hate these people that God has called him to love. So, moving on to verse 4. It's, it's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine or rulers to take strong drink. I'm going to kind of simplify this down, um, not just drinks, but distractions, but also being out of your uh, conscience. Just like when we're tired, we don't think straight, or whenever we're sick, we may not think straight, or when we're at school, we may not think straight because we're not focused on the task at hand. We're too distracted to put forward the effort to actually know what's going on. We would rather sleep than listen to the math teacher or the ELA professor, whoever it might be. But this is Lemuel's mother telling him that he has a job to do. He is king. He has a position of power. And him to get drunk or to drink strong drink is running from his problems and is incredibly foolish because he has power over the kingdom. And, well, if he's distracted by partying, drinking, getting drunk. He's out of his conscience. He's not serving his people well. He's not serving himself well, but like I said, he's not serving, most importantly, his kingdom well. So this will all make sense in a second. I'm kind of setting a foundation, so that way when I explain what I'm talking about in just a minute, it makes more sense. It says in verse 5, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. What this is just saying is that since he is so out of his conscience, so he's so distracted that he's so in love with this pretty shiny object, he's neglecting the people that he's responsible for. He's neglecting his task at hand. He's neglecting the most important things that have been set forward for him. He's neglecting the prized possession, the path that God has set forward for him. So all of us have the capacity to be leaders, and this entire section is clearly about leadership. Lemuel's mother is giving him an oracle of burden, but it's so that he can be a better leader. Many of you in front of me were on the youth leadership team, are on the youth leadership team. I, too, was on the youth leadership team. It was much different then, but still the youth leadership team nonetheless. And you should really listen to this and dig into this verse. Even after what I've said is over, this verse is incredibly valuable for developing yourself as a better leader, 
developing yourself as a just leader, which we'll get to in a minute. So, the purpose for verse 5, which is, lest they drink and forget, is the beginning of it. It's to reiterate the dangers and irresponsibility of distractions. In this case, it's drinking, but drinking can be interchanged with any choice of medley of distractions, whether it's athletics or shopping or food, whatever it might be for you guys, distractions are the irresponsible choice when you have more important things at hand, like ruling a kingdom. But many of you are not kings and queens. I get that. If you are, let me know. I would love to come stay at your place sometime, but that's a different story. So let's just all agree that most of us are not kings or queens yet we still have a responsibility. Maybe that responsibility is as simple as eating, drinking, sleeping, going to school, repeat. Some of us, we may seek out bigger leadership opportunities, like Miss Dallas over here doing announcements every week, or Brian going to Georgia Tech and seeking after a higher education. We all have different opportunities to lead, whether it's ourselves or other people in our own class. I know I'm calling out people. Um, but those are different leadership opportunities. Every time you speak, every time you make a choice to go to a different place, to take a different direction, that is an opportunity to take leadership. So, Lemuel's mother is telling him that he's been distracted or may be distracted in the future, and he may forget what he's decided when you are out of your mind or like you're not fully paying attention to the situation, you're tempted to forget or you may forget what happened altogether. And the fact that you forget leads you to make bad choices later on because you don't remember the repercussions for the first time. It's like me driving my car into a ditch because I'm driving down I-75, but I made a 90 degree angle. I ran into the ditch. Pretty common repercussion for turning a 90 degree angle in the middle of the interstate. But if I immediately forget that turning right in the middle of the interstate puts me in the ditch, I might be tempted to do it again if I don't remember what the repercussions of are. I know that's a very drastic example, but it gets the point across. It's incredibly important um, to King Lemuel's mother that he know that he has to be focused, that he has a job to do, that he has a purpose. So, Many of us have conversations, I'm having a conversation with you right now, um, that we're not always all into. Um, We may not be fully invested in that conversation, and we may immediately discuss what we just talked about. So, just to make this more relevant even to myself, is how many times do we have to save our Snapchat messages because we know we're immediately going to forget what we were just talking about. That way, when we come back to it like an hour or two later because we're making that person wait, Um, we remember what we were talking about so we can reply adequately. I know what's going on, guys. It it happens. That's up to you. However, that fact that you have to save your message proves the point that you weren't paying enough attention to the conversation in the first place. Proves to me that I wasn't paying enough attention to that conversation in the first place because I wasn't willing to sit there and remember what the other person said. I didn't care enough about that conversation to listen to what the other person had to say. That way I could remember it. That'll come up important in just a minute. We're going to go to verse 6. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. 
This simply means that drinking or being distracted from your own circumstances, no matter how tough or uncomfortable, is wrong because you're in a position of power, whether that power is over yourself or over other people, you are still in a position of power. We all have responsibilities that we must always perform, but some of us desire more and more leadership, as I spoke about a second ago. And that's who these passages are specifically targeting. It's targeting this king. It's targeting a person of utmost power. So we have to abandon distractions and comfort in order to serve people with our utmost best. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. That's verse 7. The leaders of this world, including ourselves, shouldn't give in to distractions because we can't risk forgetting what we've done. We cannot take that type of risk. The second we forget what we've done, we're not risking ourselves, but we're risking the well-being of our kingdom, the well-being of the people that trust us and rely on us. Verse 8, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. So many of us think this verse, just this verse, verse 8, is the entire aspect of leadership, speaking up for those who can't speak up for themselves, standing up for those who won't or can't stand up for themselves. We think that is leadership, and only that is leadership. That's only a part of the puzzle. That's a minor detail, almost, in comparison to the other aspects. For us to be able to stand up for someone else, for us to be able to stand up and speak for someone who can't speak for themselves, we first have to get in their mind and understand what their point of view is. And this is where all this interconnects. Like in the Snapchat reference I made a second ago, if we're not invested enough in a conversation, if we're not invested enough in getting to know somebody and getting to understand where they're coming from, their point of view then we're not going to be able to adequately represent them as a leader. We're not going to be able to voice their opinion when the day comes that they can't voice their own opinion. And that's our calling as leaders. That's our calling as parents. That's our calling as students. Whatever it may be, if we're not willing to take the time to listen, we're never going to be able to serve and adequately voice the opinions of those who can't speak for themselves. So we can always say we're speaking up for somebody who can't, speak for themselves, but if we don't understand their position, then we've done an in-service to them and we've, inadequately, we've been an inadequate leader. We, we haven't led. We've only been saying that somebody else thinks the same thing we do because we put our own hearts, desires, our own words and say somebody else feels this way because we weren't invested enough in their conversation, in their opinion to actually remember what they said. So verse 9 I still have plenty more to go, but this is the last verse of what I'm talking about. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. This, too, falls under the same idea that we should judge righteously, and I'm sure all of y'all have heard conversations, different sermons about what to judge righteously means. It's a completely different sermon, but I just want to summarize what I've heard myself and what I've read about what judging righteously means. To judge righteously is to judge with love and compassion and sometimes fear of those who are judging. So if I'm, let's go back to the classic example of, if your friend jumps off a bridge, are you gonna do the same thing? I'm gonna take a little twist on that. If you see your friend is about to jump off of a bridge, you're probably gonna look at them and, oh no, 
you are fearful for them. You are fearful for the repercussion that's soon to happen if they jump off of that bridge. Just like watching a horror movie or watching any movie and you see something surprising and it takes your breath away for a second because you're scared for them. That is judging them because you fear for them. So to add on to that, judging righteously is to judge biblically, but also it sometimes is because you fear for them. So, we hear the phrase, don't judge me, or I don't judge, but that's simply not biblical or Christian. We are called to judge each other, and we spoke specifically about this in the college service last semester, is we are called to judge. We are called to judge righteously, though. So, we're called to judge each other with the help of the church. That's one of the purposes of the church in the first place, because the church is able to provide a space for redemption and hopefully repentance. When there's multiple people gathered in the same place and you embrace your faults, you embrace your fears, you embrace what you have done in your past, that gives you a outlet, a place that you can talk to other people who most likely have felt the same things, or at least you can find somebody else in that entire organization that may feel the same way you do right now or maybe have done the same things that you have done. That's one of the many purposes of church. That's one of the many purposes of fellowship is to be able to confide in other people and build those social relationships. That way, you together as friends, as acquaintances, can learn to move forward, to be able to lift your heart, to be able to lift that burden. So, we call each other to judge with the help of the church, but this verse is saying that we need to go, we need to know God intimately and pray and read the Bible to strengthen our relationship and faith. Because without a relationship with God, without faith, without understanding what the Bible has for us, what the Bible says, we're never going to be able to judge righteously. So we need that relationship in order to judge, and we need to be able to judge righteously to be a leader. So it's like one hand plays into the next hand plays into the next. Without one, we can't, we, without A, we can't get B or C. It, it's a mathematical equation. If y'all are familiar, if you can't have A, you can't have B or C, that deal. I haven't taken math in a while, if you can't tell. So what this verse is saying is to go, that you must know God intimately and pray and read the Bible. That way you can judge righteously but also that you know that you yourself are also guilty under that same circumstance. When you judge somebody else, you should also understand that you yourself have sinned as well. You may be helping that person through whatever they're going through by judging them at that time and being able to work past it, but you yourself also must be able to be judged. And that's another characteristic of a Christian leader is being open to being judged by another person. So, Remember, we're all still talking about King Lemuel's mother, what she has given to him, the oracle that she's given to him, this burden that she's given to him. It's all a long list of how he should live and how she, he should operate as king, how he should run his kingdom, how to be a good leader and a faithful leader. So the next half of verse 9 it says we must defend the rights of the poor and needy. We're going to dive a little deeper in that. It's difficult to defend the rights of the poor and needy, first off, because I've already discussed that you have to know the person intimately to be able to represent them adequately. 
but also because we don't always want to get to know the poor and the needy. We see a man on the side of the street. We see homeless people everywhere, and we may give them a dollar, a nickel, ten dollars, whatever it might be. We may even just pray for them. It may not be a financial gift that we give to these people, but if we don't understand their story, if we don't understand how they live and why they're in that situation, we ourselves are never going to be able to judge the best way to get them back on their feet, to help them in the best way possible without understanding why they want what they want or why they need what they need. We're never going to be able to satisfy that need. We're never going to be able to help them the way that they should be helped. So that's what King Lemuel's mother's talking about here. Is he, she is telling him that he has to intimately know the peasantry, even the lowest of lowest classes in his kingdom. He has to know them intimately to be able to judge and to be able to lead them well. Without that intimate relationship, he doesn't know anything about them. So to go back to the pro- beginning of Proverbs 31, the first nine verses are the words of his mother. Well, it's the wor- his words in reflection of what his mother had taught him. And we can most likely agree that those are wise words. Those are good things to live by. We can agree that those are probably good characteristics of a Christian leader. And these lessons came from his mother. Even though she's not a king, ladies, listen up. Even though she may not be the king even though she may not be the one who is sitting in the throne, her words affected the way that he ruled. Her words drastically spun the way that he encountered and the way that he treated his kingdom. The words of a mother, the words of a wife, the words of a sister, the words of your girlfriend, the words of just simply a girlfriend can drastically change the way that you interact with people if you, sorry, I'm not used to not being able to rub my face. It's a strange thing. Um, if you are not able to be fed with encouragement, if you're not able to be fed with love and praise, you're probably never going to be a very happy person. If nobody ever outwardly appreciates what you've done, everybody wants appreciation, everyone wants Everyone wants a little bit of adoration. Somebody to say, thank you, you have done a good job. That's why these relationships exist as a mother, is to lead him in the right direction, to bathe him in praise, to make sure that he follows the right direction. This entire thing, that's why I specifically mention you ladies, is that It clearly says that your role in this specific setting in relationships is to bathe the man in praise, to be able to build him up. But it's not a one-sided coin. This clearly says relationship. It says relationship all over it. It Once there's two people together, It is a two-sided coin. Both people must be able to build the other person up, and you have to be able to lead each other to Christ. So that's where leadership comes in. Relationships are all about leading each other, maybe leading each other, hopefully, to marriage one day, but also to lead each other towards God. Christianity is an individual thing. It's an individual relationship. No matter how much 
one person out of a couple may be a Christian, it's never going to save the other person. That's one thing I want you to know right off the bat. But also, once two people are Christians and come together in a relationship, whether it's friendship or marriage or anywhere in between, you are responsible to lead the other person to God, to be able to strengthen your relationship, to be able to strengthen the way that you, to be able to strengthen the way that you go about life, to be able to be more joy-filled. You are responsible to help lead the person on the right path, but also to enjoy them, to put that adoration on them, to say thank you, to say I love you. That's why those three words mean so much, is because those three words can lead somebody to doing the same action over and over and over again. The second you say those three words, I love you, you're saying, yes, please do that again. That is what those three words mean. I love you means I want this relationship to happen again. I want this every single day. Every time I wake up, I want to wake up seeing your face. I want to wake up seeing my child. I want to wake up seeing my friend. That's what that entire I love you means is leading them down the right path. It is leading them in the right way. If you misuse those three words, you're telling somebody it's okay to do the wrong thing again and again and again, and you're never going to be able to help the person change. So even though she's not a king and she's not the one on throne, she was his parent, and she knew what to tell him so that he could rule well. And I believe this is important for parents to hear, even though there's not many here tonight. It's important for us to also understand that the parents most likely know this, the parents most likely know that it's their responsibility to lead you in a Christian family, to lead them in a relationship with God. But sometimes parents are wrong. I'll, I'll push that button for you guys. Sometimes parents are wrong. I am fully aware of that. However, I've lived a couple years, been around a little bit. Mom's usually right. Just getting that out there. Mom is usually right. So when we speak to mom... When we speak to mom, when we have those relationships with our parents, we need to realize that they most likely have a couple of years of experience under their belt. They know a couple things. And that's also about leadership, is to be able to lead yourself in discipline, to be able to understand and recognize that your parents most likely have more information about how to live well than you do, and probably have a couple of things that they can share with you. But we all have different experiences, and that's where the church comes in again. We all have different experiences. And in fellowship, we have the ability to use each other as resources to be able to learn more. If our parents don't know it, maybe our pastors do. Sometimes parents do not provide us with an adequate foundation with God, with an adequate understanding of the relationship that we're built to have with God and we have to seek that out in other areas. Sometimes parents just don't get it done. I understand that. And that's where the church comes in again. So we all have different experiences, and we're all incredible resources. But to close all of this out, and really needs to be said for us as leaders, parents, or students, we're responsible for far more than we realize 
especially for what comes out of our mouths. As parents, I was just saying, as you lead your child, it's most likely what you're telling your child that's gonna grow their relationship. We're so responsible, more than we realize, for what comes out of our mouths. And our children, and des- they need and deserve a solid foundation. Each and every one of us need and deserve a solid foundation whether that is through music that you hear on the stage, whether it's Mac McCurry, whether it's your parents, or whether it's the Bible, whatever outlet you use, we deserve and need a solid foundation to be able to place our relationship with God, but to also be able to compare our relationship with other people. And you may not think all of these things interconnect with leadership, but Leadership applies to every single aspect of your life, whether it's an individual leadership to be able to make sure you're on the right path and to be able to judge yourself, to be able to judge your relationships with other guys, girls, your parents, elders, pastors, your job, wherever it might be. You have to be able to lead yourself wisely and justly. So, Every one of us is leaders at our school here at church. And what you may not recognize is each and every one of us is looked up to by someone. Someone looks at us every single day, everything that we say, and we take our words, whatever we say, and that is us leading. We may not recognize it in the moment, but when somebody hears what we say or what we do, and then they act on that, we are leading them. That is a form of leadership. It may not be recognized by you at the time. It may never be recognized. But you have led that person somehow, some way, and changed their life. And that makes us ultimately responsible as leaders, both of ourselves but of others. And it is our responsibility. We have two choices with our words. We can either lead people closer or further away from God. And that's the leader's warning. Every single one of us are leaders. We've already accepted that. And that's the leader's warning is with leadership, you have two choices. You can lead people closer to a relationship with God or further away. And we need to listen to Lemuel and what his mother shared with him. What she shared with him is the ultimate guideline in Proverbs of how a leadership, how a leader should act. And I actually looked up a minute ago before I walked up here a web page. It's the nine essential qualities of a godly leader. And guess where all nine come from in the Bible? Proverbs. Not where I'm speaking out of, but Proverbs in general. So I implore to you, if you ever seek the opportunity to lead other people or to lead yourself, read through Proverbs There are so many good examples of what a Christian leader has to do. It's not a should do, might do, could do. It is has to do. To be an adequate parent, to be an adequate spouse, or to be an adequate friend, we are responsible to be able to lead each other justly. Let's pray.